Nope, you just, yeah, you ruined it. <laughs> I hate you God. guys. Just for the record, I hate you guys. Amateur hour here. You're listening to PHP Ugly Episode 101. I'm John Congdon. With me, as always, is Woo. Eric Van Johnson. Hey, Eric. Hi, John. How's Hi, John. Going? Hi. And Tom Rideout. How are you guys doing? Woo! Still on vacation, but back at home. And you're not on vacation. How did, it, how did that go? How did it go, Thomas? Did you guys know that vacation is stressful? Yes. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> I did know that. You probably should have said something before I went on my first ever vacation. That's not your first ever vacation. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah, that was my first You came out to San Diego? You came out to San you came back to San Diego. How did that go? Did you visit family? Did you visit friends? Did you have a good time? I, I visited lots of friends, had several times I don't remember clearly, and uh I remember the crushing feeling of too many people in a city uh immediately upon landing. It was the <laughs> the is... moment I was in the terminal was just unbelievable. It was more crowded than the airplane I was just on. That yeah. is San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So, thankfully, lots of Xanax, things worked out. Um, You're make... you happy to be back in Colorado? Oh, very much so. Yeah, that's great. So, that was one of the things that, that confused me. We've, we've talked about anxiety in the past. And when you moved out to Colorado, you said you were cured of it. But coming back to San Diego, it was right back in the swing of things? Not all the way back in the swing of things, Um but definitely that uh, that avoidance behavior came back real hard, hmm. where it was just like, oh, I'm just not uh, going to leave the house. That's better off that way. <laughs> you know, I took my gotcha. friend, uh, I took my, my son to one of his friend's house, um, hour and 45 minutes from Oceanside to uh, Cardiff. Which, which is like, what, 20 miles? It's not yeah, that yeah, far. just about. Yeah, yeah. Hour forty five minutes though, really? Yeah, that, that seems extreme even for uh, San Diego. He's very bad at directions. That's one thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's, that's a, a different, different. That's a different story. type of anxiety there. <laughs> that's a different problem. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it was it was uh, pretty pretty impressive how crunched San Diego is. Just and and my hometown. Listen, San Diego is a beautiful place. It is absolutely. Beautiful. Yes, um, I just it's didn't just want to big. Say it, it is it. big. I'm not gonna so we had, deny that. We had we had episode 100 before you left. We were trying to coordinate things to to all get together and record while you were here for this episode 101. And a couple things have have struck me. First thing, John completely had the assumption that even if you weren't going to be able to record Thomas that him and I were going to record I don't know why that didn't dawn on me when it was <laughs> when it was clear that you weren't going to be able to join us I'm just I just assumed okay well we won't record this week which got me thinking about something and we kind of just kind of blew over this for episode 100 first thing I still want to take a moment and applaud us for getting through 100 episodes. I would like to... uh, We should applaud our listeners because they're the ones really working hard to get through. (laughs) That's no small feat. I mean, we've been doing this for a couple years now, and 
you know, we really didn't do a lot for for one hour. We didn't do a lot of hey, you remember wins sort of stuff because that's not who we are. But one thing did strike me when we we're talking through this last week, Thomas. Have you actually even missed a show? No, I, think I know he's the only one that has not. Yeah, I know. I think I've missed two or three, and John missed like whole, all season one and half season two. But you know, it's John. <laughs> no, I'm the linchpin. So you, you're the one that you you're you're, well, you're the pathetic well, okay, well, fool that has well, absolutely nothing else to do but talk on the internet te- every Thursday. Technically, you're not the linchpin. You just happen to be on it. So I was this the person Keystone? in. I was this person in talk bowling. Where I was on every episode and was proud of it, and then they continued on without me, bastards. <laughs> I felt I feel like John and I should have recorded last week just to break that streak because I was like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I thought well, we were, it, and then you, you made it seem like you didn't want to. I I, 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 I wasn't up to your you I was think. not up to your standards, is what I felt. It honestly <laughs> never even occurred to me. I. I don't know why it didn't occur to me. It just didn't occur to me. I, I had you said something, I, I totally would have, John. You know I did. I, I said, are, are we are we recording? More. I thought you were being funny. <laughs> so great job, Thomas, for for doing a hundred hundred shows, hundred and one now. Very good. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased with myself. Now, the one thing I missed, see, I, I did get to see you, Eric. While I was there, and that was, we had a great time. I had a lot of fun. Um, and I got to show you what I made you guys, but didn't get to deliver to you guys. So, because this is a podcast, everyone will be able to see what I'm holding up. Aww. <laughs> I made little 3D printed articulated elephants to represent the three of us on our little podcast. Aww. For a PHP ugly. So and they're ugly elephants. Out. Is that by design? Good job. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, it was good to see you, Thomas. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It, it was it was good to see you. So it, I had a lot of fun, but really there were... I had to take about three down days where I just said like, oh, this is a lot of work going out and meeting up with everybody and scheduling things. I'm just not leaving the house today. Yeah, yeah. When we moved from the East Coast, we were we, we were originally from Maryland, and we moved out to California. Um, we learned very very soon that not to give people too much notice that we were coming out, because if you did, your entire trip would kind of be planned for you. So we'd gotten to the point where you know we would just not even tell anybody; we'd just come into town and and meet up with people and do things. But That's, especially like when you're traveling plan. with children, when you're traveling with children, it's just so much extra work you have to do. Well, I wasn't really traveling with children because I had managed to offload all three of them for almost the entire time. Mm-mm. Which, on the last day, my wife realized might make us bad parents, but by then it was too late. There's no might about it, my friend. <laughs> so definitely, definitely bad parents. <laughs> Oh, what have you guys been up to? Anything fun and exciting? Well, I've got this 3D printer. <laughs> Are you even back to work yet, Thomas? No, I'm not. I'm still off uh, until next Monday. Okay, I've... so when when did you take... When was your last day of work? Uh, ooh, it was the 26th. The 26th. Oh, no. The day is 23rd. April 5th. 23rd, yeah. 
Today is April 5th. How many lines of code have you touched in that time? Okay, so funny story. My wife and I went to go meet up with one of her old friends at the bar. And then they went off to go do some lunch thing and left me there. So I pulled up my laptop and messaged my boss and told him I was bored. (laughs) Did he put you to work? There's only two lines of code. It was just a couple removals of uh, modifications that had been made before I left and things like that. But uh, yeah, just just the two lines of code, I promise. Well, the two lines of code and then all of the code for flashing the firmware on my 3D printer. Yeah, that was for fun. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit different. Just a little bit. Yeah, no, at my office, they take the whole vacation thing pretty seriously. If it's vacation, then they cut you out of the loop pretty hard. <laughs> That's not a bad thing at all. What have you guys been up to? Oh, all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Um, I'm trying to message Eduardo in chat, and it does not seem to be going through very good. I, I can't. Eduardo, good night, my friend. I'm trying to say goodnight to you, and the chat isn't working for me. Sorry about that. Um, been a lot of a lot of fun things. Uh, I don't know where I want to start my stories at. Um, so I've been I've been messing around a little bit with some databases. Uh, let's start there because that that should be pretty quick. Uh, we keep going down the path of MongoDB, uh, Thomas. I've been interested in it in the past. I, there's a lot of NoSQL solutions I've been playing with. RethinkDB, I'm a big fan of. Uh, CouchDB, I'm a fan of. MongoDB seems to be kind of the industry front runner when you start talking about NoSQL. So this weekend, I, I took some time, and you know, I, ha- I have a little repo out there that I just kind of goof off in and, and try different things, and, and, I, and I decided to revisit MongoDB for Laravel. Because uh, there's a nice little package for MongoDB, and I had some like mind-blowing moments when I did it. Um, so first thing, and, and we talked about this in previous shows, where the 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 big strength with these NoSQL solutions like Rethink, like Couch, like Mongo, is that you're kind of just dealing with collections. And we talked about when you have a Laravel application. Is that really a benefit? Because when you, even when you have a relational database, if you're interacting with it through Laravel, you're still just interacting with collections. Right. So the fact that it's a, it's a collection in the database, I mean, what does that really bring to the table? Um, but that is one of the cool things. It is a collection in the database. In uh, this package that I found for MongoDB for Laravel, made it fairly transparent so you know you you just you create models just like you would with a a regular relational database um and i know the one you're talking about yeah and uh you know a lot of the a lot of the same eloquent uh commands are there the way you do searches the way you insert data the way you find data the way you update data all that's pretty pretty standard so you wouldn't really know you're even working in a NoSQL database. But one of the really cool things about it is, and I, you know, I just I had started reading through it and trying the different different things, is that it even plans for having a hybrid environment where you have a Mongo database and then you have a relational database like MySQL, and and 
through this package in the model, you can you can define the same relationships across databases. So you can in your Mongo in a in a model that's on your Mongo database, like let's say a user's model, you can tell it it belongs to an order model that's in your relational database. And it just gets handled for you very cleanly. Um, that was one of those like, wow, that is very good to know because I could totally see supplementing now, supplementing a Mongo database for for things that are kind of like documents, right? Like maybe an order, right? I mean, I don't need to spread an order out across four or five tables and define relationships. I just have all my orders become documents in right. this Mongo database, and then my client, my my users can ha still have a relationship to that database. Um, so that was pretty, pretty jarring. I'm like, wow, that's seriously cool. Um, I'm always, I mean, I'm always kind of looking for good use cases for these NoSQL document stores. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's still, it still is in my kind of. It's still on my radar. I, I'm still keeping an eye on it, but I, I haven't I haven't done it in practice anywhere. I, like I don't have anything in production like that. But I'm like I'm really that that moment where I'm like, wait a minute, I can I can have records in my Mongo database and relate them to things in my MySQL database through the model, so that when my developers are calling that information, they're just doing their normal queries. Holy crap! So yeah, that, that was pretty that's cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, just, I, um, I keep struggling. We have people on our team that swear by no SQL. Like, that's all they would use unless they had a very specific reason for using MySQL or Postgres. And I still can't wrap my head around that. So, uh, so a, good, a good example I have, because we're going through this now, right? We're creating, we're, we're doing a Greenfield application where we're building up um the foundation and we're we're allowing the users to define themselves and since we want to do things like associate multiple emails to a user associate multiple phone numbers associate multiple addresses well in a relational database all of those are becoming separate tables now we have an address table now we have a phone numbers table now we have a uh, email table. Now we have a users table. We have multiple tables. With a NoSQL solution, that's no longer required. There's no structure to the schema. So a user's record can have any amount of data in there that you want. You don't have to create separate tables. And more importantly, you don't have to know what data you need in that record when you define your database architecture. If 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 next next week you decide oh yeah, we want users to be able to define their relatives, right? You know, you no longer need to... Did we lose John? No, his audio is still there. He's breaking something. Oh. Uh, no, you didn't you, lose me you, at all. I'm, here. I'm still here. Video's okay. gone. <laughs> um, so so, so back, back on track. I'm sorry. I uh, got... So you no, you no longer have to define all that information. So let's say, again... You know, oh, we want our users to be able to define who their relatives are. Well, in a relational database, I'm like, okay, now I have to create a relations table and, you know, be able to associate the users to the relations. And, okay, well, what what type of relation is this? Maybe I need another table for that. 
in a NoSQL solution, it's not a problem. You just start adding that information to that user's document. Right, and there's, I mean, that's, there's other very interesting benefits, too, that, that you're basically moving schema away from a separate system, which is MySQL or Postgres or whatever, and you're moving it into the code base. So if it's referenced, then it's valid. Uh, if it's not referenced, then it's either just tertiary information or it's just invalid or whatever. But you can you can track in Git your model, and as your model changes, you can say, oh, that's where I started implementing transaction IDs for this, or that that's where I started tracking orders slightly differently. And another, you have to code for that, but it's just a slightly different mindset in coding. It's not a dramatic change. Yeah. Another example, again, in this Greenfield application, we're allowing for social media logins. And in that scenario, we have to call into these other services like Google, Facebook, what have you, to authenticate the user. The cool thing about that is when they authenticate, those those services return other information. And what I did, because we're building this on, on a relational database, I, I specifically chose MySQL 5.7 because it does have that JSON data type. So what I did is when I get that information back from the user, I don't think I need any of it. I don't know if I'll ever use any of it, but I'm getting a lot of good information back. So I actually take that now and store it in uh, a table in my database as you know a JSON data, a data type so that in the future, if we decide, oh yeah, that is some information we need, we have it. And again, if this was a, if this was a MongoDB, I would just store it directly into that user's record. You're starting say, to okay, sound here, like the enemy. Here was the here was the data from Google. Here was the data from Facebook. So it's like again, da- data I might not necessarily need, but I don't have to go find it either because it's all in my user's document. All the all the information associated to my user is in in that user's document, and there's no trying to find what other table, you know, how many how many addresses does this guy have in the address table? How many phone numbers so does I, this woman have? I'm, I'm wondering if this table? is Cambridge Analytica's response to, oh, we were just getting this information from Facebook. We were storing it. We didn't know what we were getting. And then later, like, eh, now we got this. Let's see how we can use it. And unfortunately, it turns out they got we, basically we everyone's information. Yeah. Because they were, proactively, they were proactively connecting dots. Yeah. You know, like you said, they were... They were getting Facebook feeds. They were figuring out relationships. Maybe. They were figuring out thoughts. Maybe. But so. maybe they were just getting data back from Facebook, storing it, and then afterwards realized, oh, look at all this data we got. Let's connect the dots. Well, until you look at their business model, which was, you know, hey, en- enumerate <laughs> all the <laughs> Let me have my moment here. Yeah, Facebook announced that 89 million people have been affected now, so it's a little bit bigger than the initial, wow. what, 25 million that they had guessed, and they're going to be contacting people, letting them know their information was taken, but that's not even the worst part of it the last two weeks. Have you guys been following Facebook's nightmarish fallout lately? Oh, yeah. All, some very big names are deleting their Facebook presence. Oh, that's not even the, that's not even the first of it. I mean, that's... 
that's people just deleting their Facebooks, but it's been released that all of the conspiracy theories were true and that the Facebook app on your phone was monitoring every call you made and every message you send and the big uh, oh, the big you announcement sniped today my you sniped my story. Well, if you put it on the Trello board, I wouldn't. I, you didn't put it on the Trello board either. <laughs> the story. The, did you guys see the story so, today? Which was I've not seen the story. So you both you both have me sniped. Wait. Let, let me. Let me oh, yeah, tell it is you. On, it is on John's Trello. Let me tell you something else I did this weekend. So I'm seeing I'm seeing all these companies. You see Tesla's canceling their Facebook uh, page, deleting their Facebook page. There was a there, there was another big big name that did this. I forget who. It's on the next discussion point if you take a look from your but, own tr- uh, Trello board. Oh yeah, Playboy <laughs> uh, can't it removed their Facebook page. That's right. It was on my Trello, wasn't it? Was, it? The name yes, conveniently slips his mind. What was the name? Playboy, What's that magazine? That one that that I've never read. Playboy delete deleted their Facebook account, and then I started seeing tweets come in saying, "Hey, before you delete your Facebook account, you have the option of exporting all your data, and you don't have to delete your account to export your data." So I'm like, well, "Okay, I'm just going to export my data and see see what's in there." Holy God! Yeah, it's bad. The information they have. I I was reading some of these tweets. And I'm like, this can't be true. Some of the things they were referencing is if you have the Facebook app on your cell phone, it downloads your your phone book. Your entire phone book gets downloaded to Facebook. If you do SMS through your phone and not a third-party app like Telegram or Hangouts, they have all your SMS messages. And I'm like, there's no way in hell that can possibly be true. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you I exported my data and damn if it isn't 100% true. Every phone number I had on my phone was in my Facebook information. The couple of SMS messages I used on my phone were in my Facebook folder. It was horrifying. I mean, of course they had they had my my photos that I uploaded and all my posts. And I expected all that, but there was some information in there. I'm like, there's no they had no right to have this information. What about your and daughter being it, pregnant? It was jarring. It was very jarring. We'll get to that as well. It was, it was announced today that not only are they, they using this information for analytics, but they were actually using the Facebook Messenger content to target users. They were analyzing the data in the message itself. So it's And we've been critical of Facebook in the past. We did, we did the whole Facebook challenge to see if we could I believe I've been called Facebook. Chicken Little. Right, get Facebook prompted with some outrageous word and see if we'd start getting advertising. And, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a guy of I want to see the facts. I want to see, show me the facts. Don't just tell me these these stories. And so we, we went through a lot of these things. And we've all always been, everybody in the tech industry has always been very suspicious and questioned. This is the first time I got some hard evidence where I'm like, this is bullshit. So, so what do you do? Do you want to close your account? Did you guys close your accounts? I have not. So here's the here's the thing. I, here's the thing. I know what Thomas said. Thomas said if you close your account, there by law by law they have to delete all this information. In the UK, I just not here. And they've stated clearly see, two days I ago. Asked, I asked you that the last show. You said no, no, no. It, it, it applies to everybody. Well, it did apply to everybody. Two days ago, Facebook announced that their policies would now be 
tailored to each country so that one country could right. not rule. So, so now it doesn't even do any good. No, so account, does right? nothing anymore. Um, and what good is deleting data if they've sold it to everybody? They've already, yeah, they've already had it. They've already touched it. You know, it's, yeah. I don't know. John, is there anything we can do about that? Not that I know of. Oh, wait. There's no... Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, somebody wrote a wrote an interesting post about uh, basically screwing with the data that Facebook has on you. So, as we all know, you can go in and edit your posts. And somebody wrote a script that would allow you to do this basically automatically and just go in and just months ago change any post you made and just make it completely garbage. <clears throat> Which I thought what was What would be the point of that? Well, obviously, if Facebook can't read the data you have, they can't sell it. Just read the headline. No. But the, <laughs> the, the, the problem, the problem is, like, it. all your family and friends would be like, John has gone crazy. I but have to tackle I, I think this now, a, though. I think if it's months ago, they're not going to see it based on I Facebook's have to, algorithm. I have to tackle this issue now, though, because I am, <clears throat> I think of the three of us, I'm probably considering it the most. And but they have a copy of all the changes. It's not like that's I yeah. I yes, I put this article on my feed, but most companies aren't gonna they don't well, track just your original data the, and then when you change it they change the data in their database. They say, Oh, here's what it was originally and here's what it is now. Sure. They have But the the, the idea here the idea here is poisoning the data. And poisoning the data doesn't work great for retroactive stuff like you were saying. But for future data, it definitely does. So if you were to automate some kind of post that wasn't garbage, that was some kind of chatbot type system where it just said, going fishing, having a Coors Light, enjoying time On my with way to my vote for mother. Trump. Right. If you, poison the, <laughs> if you poison the pool well enough, then all of the data becomes null and void. And if there oh. were somebody, if somebody said... Yeah, poisoned accounts should be created. This data should be garbage. Because when I poison my account, I'm creating garbage for all the accounts that I associate with as well. So everything comes into question as to, is this somebody who's actually a Trump voter or somebody who actually goes fishing or wants I, I, a cheap charity? I'm sorry, I was not supposed to use names specifically on the way to vote for the person who's currently in office. Jeff Sessions. Oh, wait, we didn't <laughs> vote him in. Never mind. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think the you're idea of poisoning you're your data is good. Your account? Oh, very much so. Um, I like I said, I, I've stopped using it a while back. The only thing I kind of do, and I, I understand Instagram is also owned by Facebook. I, I try to consciously remember to when I take pictures, take them on Instagram so that they post to Facebook. Um, but I don't again, do that. that's that's really about the extent of my Facebook use. For me, for me, it's just pointing my attention span at dev null. It's just such a, a, a an empty trough of content. Did they remove the ability to, to, to download? Because I can't find it now from the I'll, article I'll have, I'm reading. I'll have to share the link. It's not it's not obvious where it's at. You you have to do some digging. I'll I'll, uh, I'll then, find the article that I used and sent it to. Oh, you. download well, a copy of your Facebook data. I found it. Now Facebook okay, does perfect. provide some helpful, some nice features. And I've been looking into alternatives and I found the Diaspora Foundation. Have you guys seen that at all? 
I mean, no. no, I haven't seen Diaspora. But the the problem with all these wannabe Facebooks, we're better, we're more secure, we, we're decentralized, we're open source, we're encrypted, is it's no good if your family and friends aren't on it. Right. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Or, I mean, maybe it is better. No, <laughs> no he's I'm got a point. There are cases. Sometimes he's got a point. <laughs> I've, I've heard... Nightmare scenarios about Facebook arguments between mother-in-laws. Yeah, but it, it, you know, honestly, that's been one of the reasons why it's been so easy for me to walk away from Facebook because the only people I follow on Facebook are friends and family, and friends, mainly friends from when my childhood and high school. And the thing about it is, my interests. And my profession and the things I do are so vastly different than 99% of them that I have very little to discuss with the exception of my children who are now young adults and have their own Facebook and do their, can have their own conversations. So I don't, I don't really get a lot. I, I didn't start following a lot of my tech friends that I follow on Twitter because I feel like that's what Twitter's for for me. Um, I didn't follow a lot of them. I followed a couple, but not too many. Um, so it was really easy for me to step away from Facebook because I don't share a lot of interest with my family, families and friends. I just don't. See, that's so where, I, where I differ. I have a following on Facebook from previous jobs, and I feel bad saying it, but I keep them around. It's not like I pruned my Facebook page, mostly because if I have something I want to announce... I, to the masses i want everyone to see it so i use facebook mm -hmm. more as a branding platform well you are a public figure so it's much more difficult for you but not any more than eric is but i've had other well, jobs two where of people, you are people have friended me because of previous jobs where if i want to announce something then i'm going to use that as a platform to do so well, i'm going to start with linkedin because that thing is cancerous it is i agree but you're moving on way too quick. <laughs> we have to we have to move on. We're thirty minutes in. Yeah, we're but done we're... talking about Facebook. Nope. Okay. Are we not? No, we're done. No, go ahead. You, no. you got something else? No, I'm done. I, I said my piece. Nobody responded to what I had to say, so maybe I'm dumb for keeping non friends around as potential friends no you're you're a public <laughs> figure. You and Eric are both public figures. You are currently Why are you saying that? Because you, public figures. because you operate meetups, you're hosting a Wave PHP event, you uh, run right. a business no, but I, on But I've had people the before, I, before I was in the position I'm in now, I've had people that friended me on Facebook for various reasons. And, Dev. you know, from a marketing standpoint, and it sounds horrible to say, but if I, if I have something to say and I put it on Facebook, there's a chance that there's a percentage of people out there that would listen to what I had to say. And I don't That's what I mean by power. public figure, is that marketing, you have marketing to do. I have no marketing whatsoever besides my terrible jokes on but Twitter. I don't, I don't have any right now either, but I have that, that sense that maybe in the future I will. That's why I haven't pruned my Facebook page. I haven't said, you know, I've got plenty of people say, hey, if you can still see this, then you've made my first cut of whatever. And it's like, one, I think that's shitty to say to begin with. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I but think I'm, that's pretty great. <laughs> it, it's funny, but it's it's like uh, I don't think I want to be your friend anymore. Anyway, <laughs> but, 
But Thomas, you, you anyway. Sorry, Thomas, you you mentioned bad jokes on Twitter. If you don't follow Pie Jokes uh, Bot, Pie P Y Jokes underscore Bot, you're missing out. They just posted. Here, here's the latest one from them. How many programmers does it take to change a light bulb? None. They just make darkness the new standard. <laughs> that is, that is a that is great material right there, people. Pie jokes underscore bot on Twitter. You've got to follow this. Guys. Oh, that this is, is this is all terrible. They are hysterically funny. I laugh for minutes at a time. <laughs> all right, so we we we. We've touched on a couple of things. We've got a story to tell you. We've, we've touched on a couple of things about LinkedIn, Facebook, and some of the shady things that goes on. We actually had to address an incident within our company last month. Or, jeez, last month. Last Ooh. week. Yeah. Which I guess could have been last month. <laughs> one of uh, the same at this point. Last, yeah. Um, one of our uh, office administrators got an email and um, at the time, she was mobile. She was running around doing a couple things. And she looks down at her phone, and it's from John Congdon. John. This John. Our CEO all all I wanted her to do was send some, some gift cards to a client. And she questioned it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it says, from John Congdon, I need you to take a company credit card, pick up two thousand dollars worth of apple gift cards and send them to this client and you know she doesn't really she's not really in the position to question john's request and and all honestly that isn't that far-fetched of a request to come from john but fortunately our office assistant and it, john addressed our office assistant by her name in the email and it, it all looked legit Fortunately, she was smart enough to know there's something that doesn't sound right about this email. And she happened to notice that the email address wasn't from our company email address. It was from a Comcast email address. Now, not that that's a hard thing to spoof, though. No, it's super simple. Right. That's the scary part. Right. So she she proceeds to reach out to me and says, hey, um, I've got a kind of an odd request coming from John. Uh, can I borrow your company card? I'm like, well, there's a lot of red flags right there. What, you know, what, what, why do you need my card? And why is John, you know, what's he asking you to do? And she explains, she, he, she, John wants me to pick up these gift cards. I'm like, and she even says, but it's weird. He didn't send my, the email from his Diego dev account. I'm like, all right, right, right off the bat. There's something wrong there. And so I, you know, I say forward, forward me the email. I look at it. I'm like, okay, this is a, not only is this a phishing scheme, but this is what you call spear phishing, where they actually have some information. They've connected some dots and they're trying to make this sound very genuine. So we, you know, the smart thing would have been just to let it go. Just <laughs> tell her to delete the email. But we're not smart. And be done with it. Yeah, no, we're not. We're not smart. And we proceeded over the next week. <laughs> I was going to say, it's, it's been at least a week because it's still, you were but telling me about it four days ago. Emails with the spammer. By the way, the, the we part here is Eric's, Eric had a lot of fun with this. I just said, go I, for it. I, I'm a twisted person. I'm really twisted because this went from 
a, a simple, hey, go buy these gift cards to blow you into this whole... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Before I'm you can say more, I'm trying to tell my wife about this and trying to explain your twisted sense of humor. <laughs> so this whole thing turns into... You know, this office assistant is having a, a, an extra marital, marital affair with John, who's married, and now she's pregnant, and there's all this <laughs> drama going on, and she has to go to the doctor about the pregnancy, and, and you know, we built it up to the point where the office ast- assistant had responded that uh, she had all the, all the gift cards, but she was very upset with John because he didn't meet her at the doctor's office for the appointment. With, with the baby and so now she's taking the gift cards and she went and bought an iPhone with it and screw you <laughs> and the guys the guys responses just were like I told you we would talk about it when I got back to town I'm so sorry da, 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 da. I'm like oh this is awesome <laughs> so yeah that, that went on for way too long no that went on the perfect amount of time and I have to say that, that you were you were giddy as a schoolgirl when we were having drinks talking about this <laughs> This was the gotta, highlight of your year. I got Oh, did you see the? Uh, so this week, you know, we, we we were very quiet about it, and then you know when everything settled down, I'm like, all right, I want to make I want to make the team aware of this and make sure that you know they know that this sort of thing's happening. So I did a quick post in our Slack, and I put all I put a lot of the messages in there, so everybody kind of got a kick out of it. But uh, just through conversation. One of our bigger clients, I'm like, hey, you know, if you're interested, saw this. this just happened to us. And, uh, you know, I, I shared. Actually, wait, I wait, wait. I wait. Even... Before you go into that, one of our other clients sent out an email in mass saying, hey, if this happens, be aware of it. Like, it was it was a very weird, like, hey, did something happen? And in, in the email from them, they're like, nothing's happened so far. We're just letting you be aware then we are hit with this, and then from a yet another client, now you can continue. Yeah, from from another client, you know, we I didn't even, I wasn't even aware when you share posts in Slack. If you if you share it as a as a post, you can actually share it publicly. Like you can create public links to it. So that's what I had done for this other client, and we learn. And keep in mind, they were trying to scam us for two thousand dollars worth of gift cards. We learned last week as well from yet another Comcast account, they got hit with a very similar thing, but for a lot more money. And we're talking, you know, close to $30,000. And again, it was one of those reaction things where they, you know, the, the, the people involved actually started doing what was asked of them because this is like their... Very close you know, to their, pulling the trigger on sending $30,000 out. And I mean, fortunately, they they thought they're like, wait, nope, something's wrong here, and they checked, and you know, they figured it out as well. And I'm like, wow! And it was the, it was the same thing. They they used names. the The initial email came from the CEO, CEO of the company. It went straight to one of their um, one of their accountants, and everybody used their everybody used names. And so, do you, do you think weird. that has to do with titles? Like, based on LinkedIn, do you think? Because they had an accountant's title, they asked for more money versus an office assistant, where they asked for, you know, that's gift cards of two thousand. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I think, John. Hmm. I I think, it could go further than that, though. I mean, to to say that businesses have to be registered with the state 
that they're in, you could look up information that would disclose how big a business is and how big a fish you're going after. You know, these spear phishing attacks are incredibly sophisticated, and from what I've read, they're actually successful a majority of the time, not a minority. Really? So, greater, mm. greater than 50% of the time, these spear phishing attacks are successful. Um, which you brings think me about it, they don't they don't even need to be that successful. If they're if they're successful ten percent of the time, they're probably pulling in bank. Now, what have you guys done to prevent this from occurring in the future? Talk about it internally. Yeah. That was the main thing. Do you guys know about automated PGP signatures in emails? We know about not them. Au- not but... automated. I mean I, I know I know how to set it up for myself, but you know, it's, it's always a challenge getting other people to use it. I was trying to I do think, this probably some 15, 20 years ago at this point. Yeah. Same here. So this is not a new technology. This is actually really old. Um, and my concern is that I look up Gmail PGP signatures and there's nothing. It's there's, not there's, good. There, there, hmm. there are a couple of extensions you can install, and none of them work that well. This is right. actually one of the bigger arguments to having a client, a thick client, a thick email client, like a, a, a standalone email client, because you can have this GBG um, integration into it. Uh, Apple Mail has actually a pretty good one, um, probably one of the better ones. Thunderbird has one, um, but yeah, this is one of the this this is one of the things you. Uh, you lose when you go to these web based. Now I, I have a uh, what's it called Proton or I think it's Pro- Proton. Yeah, Proton Mail. I have Proton Mail, and I have very seriously been thinking about moving the company's email address over to Proton Mail for that very reason because they have team accounts now and and it's fairly reasonably priced. Uh, but I I haven't done that. I was it's funny you should say that. I was just looking at that this weekend. And um, God, I'm still I'm still on the fence on doing that. Well, this is one of the great selling points for Microsoft's Office 365 platform is that Outlook integrates a lot of these security features into it, uh, mm-hmm. and I get the feeling that they sort of fire down anyone trying to do a system similar to theirs. That they mm-hmm. they might even have patents on it. Maybe maybe we need to look at Office 365 then, because um, I really think. I hate email. I, I honestly oh, yeah. don't don't like using it, but it's you. Ha- it's one of those necessary evils to do business in this world. And but wait, yeah, it's, it's tough. Tom, so were you talking about Windows is dead somehow recently? Well, I mean, what a beautiful John, segue! What a beautiful a segue. segue! You can't call it a segue if you call it out as a segue. Well, I was gonna actually. I need. I need to get another beer. I need to get another beer too. So I have to call it a segue, so I have an excuse to make a hard cut here, anyways. (laughs) This is why you take your video to nothing, so you can walk away for two minutes. Have I not taught you anything in this before? As as beautiful as a segue that was, it it wasn't when you call it out. (laughs) Before we move on, one of the funny things that that we did. With our spear phishing individual, male, female, I don't know who, who they were, but uh, I, I kept wanting to push the boundary to see how desperate they were. And so I actually, like in like an hour, hour and a half it took me, I, I put up a honeypot real quick and had our office assistant email back and say, hey, our accountant is asking you to log into our back office 
and approve the invoice. And I, I put out this mock invoice where I, you know, the, the whole kind of idea was I, I wanted to grab their IP address and thinking to myself, there's no way this person is going to go to some random website to approve an invoice that he didn't even have to log in to approve. You know, it was, it was publicly available and, uh, sure enough, he did it. <laughs> he emailed no. the office assistant back and said, yeah, I, I approved the invoice. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And I, I <laughs> go into the database and sure enough, there's an entry there. I'm like, Oh man, who is this person? <laughs> I told you, I, I told you when you told me that, that you should have let me know first because I have a bunch of JS libraries that can just scoop everything out of the system. Yeah, I'm kicking myself. I, I should have ping, I should have pinged you on that, and I didn't. Um, and I should have. I, I it was a last minute thing. I didn't have a lot of time to do research on making a good honeypot, so I just I just threw something together in PHP and you know let it ca- capture it. But yeah, next time next time I'll call you, John, or Thomas. So John mentioned my reference to the end of Windows. Making the segue horrible, by the way. Since you guys if you call, call it, it a segue, if you call it a segue, it doesn't work. No, you just yeah, you ruined it. <laughs> I hate you God. guys. Just for the record, I hate you guys. Amateur hour here. Also, we're at an hour. <laughs> uh, the 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 title of the story is uh, naturally conflated it's it's a little exaggerated uh but it is something we've been talking about for some time now on this very podcast which is that the windows environment is changing dramatically the 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 windows attitude is changing dramatically um this author ben thompson writes a blog called strategery and he covered strategery he covered a memo uh, referencing internal reorganization at Microsoft. Uh, not not an internal memo. This is a public memo. All employees, all store employees, et cetera, et cetera. And it just says sort of, here's the future. We're doing a reorganization. There's going to be a lot of people at upper levels moving around. But there's one line in this three-page email that indicates... That something is changing with the Windows platform. Um, we've talked before about how Windows is starting to embrace Linux in strange new ways. <clears throat> They've recently opened up the uh, programming platform. What do they call it? The .NET. Yeah, yeah. Not not .NET. The development for PHP in their IDE. Visual Studio Code. Yeah, yeah. VS Code. They yeah. opened up Visual Studio Code. They integrated Bash into Windows. They're starting to support open source projects. Uh, Microsoft SQL runs on Unix now. Yeah, they're cooperating with Docker to put the kernel-level access into the Docker container on Windows machines. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff that is interesting moves forward given what we've known for the last 30 years of Windows behavior, of Microsoft behavior. Uh, and this one line here indicates that the Windows development team is no longer an independent team within the Microsoft Corporation. <clears throat> so they state, 
Jason Alexander is being promoted to executive vice president of Azure and will lead this team. The Windows platform team, led by Harv Bela, Henry Sanders, and Michael Fortin, will join Jason's team. So what was once an independent team is now folded into the Azure platform team. And Mm. this makes their two big teams, the Microsoft 365 group and the Azure group. And it's not indicating some kind of fundamental shift, but the implication which is reached by the author of Strategery is that the culture, the corporate culture of Microsoft is changing, and that will, in the long run, fundamentally change the product. Yeah. Yeah, I Uh, I think that's just bound to happen. If you read the analysis, he covers a lot of what Steve Ballmer did and sort of the massive negative fallout, according to Microsoft, that's resulted from it. And this is all corporate intrigue, internal politics and stuff, but it does definitely indicate that something is going on within Microsoft where Windows is no longer the star platform that it once was. Uh, I, I found that interesting because that's something that we have been talking about for a couple of years. Yeah, but, and uh, I agree. I, I, I... Go ahead, John. All right, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, I, 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 think, I think Microsoft reached pinnacle where they realized that they couldn't they couldn't kid themselves anymore that they were losing ground they were losing it quickly that a lot of the business models that they put in place a lot of the philosophies that they had around proprietary proprietary ship of software of solutions might not necessarily work um and i think that you know they're they're they've taken the last couple of years, and they'll continue to take the next couple of years to do some course correction on a very large enterprise-heavy ship. And uh, if you know anything about enterprise, those <laughs> things don't move that quickly. I mean, you know, changing yeah, no, course, it's very slow. Yeah, very but slow. but I I look at it a little bit differently as they're they're a business that wants to thrive, and all. They're not changing course completely, so it's not the end of Windows. It's how do we how do we make Windows great again? Oh my! So God. how do <laughs> how do we? But, but, but how thanks do we, for the, thanks for the title talk, of the you're show. Talking, you're talking about a company who, at one point, basically set the standard. They right. they said this is what's going to happen, but not only for our company, but for the internet. You have to use this browser. You have to use this solution. I, I if agree. You want to. But aren't aren't a lot of the things they're doing kind of behind the scenes that developers like us care about, but the majority of their current users don't care about? Like I would say that the way that UX works is that the users don't notice when it's good, and they do notice when it's bad. Right. So they're trying to change the UX to favor people in a way that, yeah, we will care about because we understand it, but end users, they'll care about because they don't notice it. But at the end of the day, that it's one and the same. Like they're they're appealing to the people that use Windows now because it has all the things they want, and they're trying to get people like us that use Mac or Linux over to Windows. So they're well, just trying what, to what they're saying broaden by doing what they this can is offer. That they're not trying to do that. They're by folding it into the Azure platform, which is their enterprise level platform. They're essentially saying 
that end users, home users, are no longer their core, and that focusing that, on home user is... I think, I think that's a reality across the board, though, Thomas. I mean, look at Apple. They don't care about their desktop computers. Sure, they want to keep the developers happy, but their focus is iPhones, iPad pads, because Absolutely. that's what the home users are using. I think Microsoft has that realization as well. I think they tried to get into the tablet market. I think they had a couple of good products, but again, miss one or two misfires in that industry this early on, and you're scarred. You know, well, they um, have a great position in the tablet market right now because what? when it comes to perfect. They do. Really? In, 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 the, in the corporate environment, tablets are very often Windows, the Windows tablets, the fold-up ones. Hmm. They've gotten huge popularity in the corporate markets, uh, whereas Apple's cornered the consumer market. Uh, and that was a big push by actually, actually, Microsoft. Actually, I have to NFL. give you that one because my mother-in-law is big into her Surface, so she's big into the Microsoft world at that point. Yeah, and the I Surface like is a, a really, really good device. Yeah, I look it's... at getting a Surface. I, and I still might. I'm, well, I'm, I'm a geek like that. Like I said, this is this is not the end of Windows, but this is the beginning of the end of the current structure, or, or at least acknowledging that the structure no longer works the way it used to for the last 30 years. Because Windows has been its own team in Microsoft since 1980. So this was and a bad title of a article. Fake news. We're not... Fake news, all i got to say. <laughs> the, the article says the end of Windows. Okay. I have, just completely I have said that's not true, so this is fake news. I have a disgusting chunk of crypto stuff that we have to... Oh, no, 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 no. No, no we're not going no. to crypto yet. I, I have about four or five other items to talk about, and we're not going to crypto just quite yet. Go on. We're not even going to mention the fact that John has a nice little uh, list of cards here. Uh, that we haven't even but we're not a new to, show we don't have so. to talk about these it's all right right so i they're, said they're i said crypto. i was I, I i'm a geek right i mean i i'm notorious for trying shiny new things yeah you're a bleeding edge geek you you nerd out yeah. on the newest yeah, of the I, new I, I i yeah i ride and die on the edge of uh geekism a couple a, for the last couple of weeks a name has been crossing all my little feeds in that name in the name alone, I had vowed never to even look at it because it eked me out. And I said, I don't care what this is. I'm not interested. John McAfee. Cockroach DB. Are <laughs> any of you guys familiar with Cockroach DB? <laughs> no. Okay. So listen to this for a second. I, I, just, I just went on my rant about MongoDB and NoSQL Solutions, like, they're... For me personally, I don't know if this is across the board for everybody, but for me personally, the the thing that they're really strong at is being able to spin up additional nodes and getting replications going very easily. Um, yes, you can do it with MySQL. Yes, you can do it with Postgres. I assume you can do it with Microsoft SQL. But it's not a matter of just spinning up a node and saying, hey, here's another node. Get your information from them. It's There's a lot of configuration that has to happen for it to work. And even you know, depending on how you implement it, it can be a little clunky. NoSQL solutions like Couch, like Rethink, it's just really as simple as spinning up another server, saying, "Hey, 
you talk to this node and get your, your your information, get your databases from this guy, and then I'm going to spin up another node, and he's going to talk to you and talk to this other guy, and everybody's going to figure out who everybody else is. That's always been one of the really strong things with these NoSQL solutions. CockroachDB, after seeing it come across my feed a couple times, something piqued my interest. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a look. And I, I'm not... I, I literally just did this this week, so I am not really in depth on it. But my understanding of it is it doesn't lie on top of Postgres, but it, it's compatible with Postgres. We've had we've heard this compatibility uh, quote with other things. I think Amazon's uh, database solution is compatible with MySQL, but it's not MySQL. CockroachDB is compatible with Postgres. So if you have a Postgres client or if you understand Postgres, you understand how to work with CockroachDB. Nothing special there. The Where it shines, and I've done this and I was pretty blown away by it, is creating multiple nodes of CockroachDB is, again, as simple as just spinning up another CockroachDB instance, saying, okay, Here's your other server. This is where you get your information from, and replication just happens. It was so seamless. I on my on my local machine here, I spun up like five nodes in a matter of three minutes, and all my data was was replicated across to all the nodes. And I was interacting with one node, and all the data was getting populated to the other nodes. I'm telling you, man, this that. I'm not a big fan of Postgres. We've talked about it on past shows. Uh, I've looked in Postgres. We've we have clients who are on Postgres. We've had to make decisions where, you know, we've 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 given way and, and implemented Postgres. And to this day, I'm not a big fan of Postgres. But man, this was freaking impressive. Um, I, I, now I wish I was better at Postgres because if I was. I, I don't know what the shortcomings of something like CockroachDB are right now because I haven't gotten enough real-world experience with it yet. But if I was a Postgres guy, forget it, man. I'm, I'm using this CockroachDB despite the name. That's the other thing I want to talk about. I got a question for you, Thomas. Are you there, Thomas? No. Thomas he's <laughs> All right, well, why Thomas is gone, I guess I was just ranting too much. He, he lost interest in the show. That's pretty bad. I think it was the name of the product, Cockroach DB. Who would name their product Cockroach? That's horrible. So it, it, I, I've got to say something. Uh, our last show, episode 100, you bastards, you got me hooked on the, that minefield. So uh, we talked about that minefield on YouTube Red. Uh-huh. And we were talking about the whole train thing. So, I, of course, I, I look it up and I check it out. I'm like... And I probably watched three days of just binging on Minefield and watching the shows back to back. That 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 was a good one. That's probably that's probably the first YouTube read. It's really uh, the only one the that show. I really enjoyed. Yeah, it really is yeah. the only one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of other ones that they're just. I think they're aimed more towards teenagers, or it, it's just not good. That minefield one is pretty good. I, I finally, I finally burnt out on it at about day three, but so I still have more to watch. But I mean, they're the only two I seasons watched, in. They're not that far into it. Uh, 
that the one that blew me away was the isolation one. The mm-hmm. he spent yeah. Uh, yeah. that freaked me out. Like watching him go through that, and especially spoiler alert, but there 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 gets to be a part at the very end where he's convinced that he's been in isolation, and we're not talking about a couple of hours. We're talking days. He's convinced that he's been in isolation for three full days, and he, he starts you know. You, you see he's he's getting he's getting antsy like he's like I should be getting out of here and he like falls asleep and he wakes up and has a nightmare and he's totally he's totally disoriented and ends up opening up the door to the place but doesn't walk out he realize you know, I guess something comes to him he realizes that you know he's still in isolation and he, and he comes back in and closes the door but when I saw him open that door I that I I I can't. I couldn't believe how much of myself connected to him. I'm like, I can't imagine what he's going through right now. Yeah, that well, that's one. That, that's that's one of my favorite YouTube red shows, or my yeah. my favorite for sure. So, Thomas, I have a question for you. Fire away. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you who's on what side of the fence here. I'm just going to ask you the question, and I'll know immediately. What is your What is your opinion? of one-on-ones with your supervisor do you feel like they're beneficial do you think that they're a good practice or do you think that there's not a whole lot to that you should you should ask do you have them to begin with thomas do you have one-on-ones with your supervisor uh, I like, don't. like a like a scheduled one-on-one like i don't every, every okay all right would you I... want a one-on-one with your supervisor no you wouldn't no. Okay, so you, you you've kind of you've kind of shown your card, you've shown your hand here a little bit. Not at all. What is your opinion on one on ones? Well, first off, we need the elephant in the room. You don't do one on ones anymore. Why what? is that? When meeting when meeting with a supervisor, there always has to be a second person in the room. Okay, well that's fine. Let's assume there's a second person. But a one-on-one the, being... the concept itself of a one on one being the the back and forth of information. I'm a fan of that if you're in a mentorship position, but if okay. you are, if you are in a position where you are the reigning expert over your supervisor, then the one-on-one serves very little. No, I, I disagree with that in the in the sense that your supervisor holds the keys to your future, so you have key objectives that you're supposed to meet within the company. And it's the supervisor's goal to make sure you get to those points, right? Sure. So it's However, not so much you—it's not so much you know more than you supervise when it comes to coding, but it's, hey, we need you to meet these goals in order to get to that next level. So you're in defense of the one-on-one, whereas Eric doesn't. I'm not, not necessarily in defense. I'm I'm bringing up counterpoints because you you made it like. I'm smarter than my boss, and no, not smarter. I just work in a I work pretty, in a specialized sure that's exactly area. What you said. <laughs> not at all. No, I I am hired because I work in a specialized area that my boss does not work in. I I am an expert in uh, environment A, whereas my boss is an expert in environment B and needs someone mm-hmm. who's an expert in environment A. Yes, but they also want you to to meet specific goals to continue your progression within the company. Okay, so let's 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 and pull if back. There's no progression, Eric asked then, if then I have one on ones. Eric asked if I have one on ones. 
I work exclusively through Slack chat, and I have one-on-ones all the time. We have a development channel, which I believe is underused, and we have one-on-ones with the two superiors that I have, one of whom says, this is the directive, I want you to do it this way, and he is equally or greater educated on the subject than I am, and I just sort of do what he tells me to, and another who proposes a situation and wants a solution to it. And that supervisor, I spend a lot of time with giving her my opinion and my history with the topic, saying this is why I think this is that way. However, in the end, their supervisor is the one that makes the call. So you don't think you have room to grow? You're already an expert in all things in in your area of expertise, so you can't get better at it. There, there's, there's, there's no, there's no ladder for you to climb at your company. You're. It's not. You're e- it's not even that. Is. Not even within the company, but within yourself. I haven't addressed that with them, and it's something that I need to do. And I've told you okay. guys that. I've I've told so you guys so you that feel I've like been. You would benefit from one on ones. I would, but like, I like don't focus. know. I don't know what the subject of the conversation would be, except for let's have some drinks and talk about where this is all going. So, and, and I'm not, I'm not completely, for the record, I'm not completely opposed to them. From where I stand, is, is the reason I ask this question is we, we, we had the discussion, and it's a discussion we've had for a while within our company, and it, it did come up again about the possibility of doing a one on ones, and if it, we, we're pretty different. Uh, democratic about it we asked if if there was an interest in it and enough people said yeah we thought there was enough interest in it that we implemented it so i'm not opposed to it my concern with our business model is twofold the big one is time is money right we're not the people that work with us aren't part of our company like they're not right they're not exempt so they're getting paid for all interactive hours we can't offer them you know supervisor roles or i mean we can say they're a lead developer in a project but we can't we can't move them up in the company and we're paying them by the minute right i mean every minute we're we're in a meeting with them and they're not working on a client is really money directly out of our pocket so I, I get a little, I'm very protective of, of the developers in our company and how much time they spend in meetings because their, their only objective is to be productive. But I do yield the, the validity that John says, that, you know, it is good to have a touch base to understand, even if, I, even if I'm not an employee, where I sit within the organization, like what is expected of me where am where am I going? What is the objectives that we're trying to obtain? I just struggle with it because it's like, man, I was like, this is how ha- you know for us to have one on ones with our with our people is going to take half of my day, and that's half of a day that I I can't spend working on a project or working on something else. So sure, but so being, through- being a mentor is going to come out of your wallet unless you're retired. Yeah, but. But even mentors can be mentees of specific things. Like I realize that I have a propensity to be too fast at getting things done. And while it sounds stupid, I get shit done quickly, but there's a cost to that. 
I may not recognize... It sounds entirely reasonable that you're describing the fire triangle. <laughs> yeah. I end up... I get shit done quickly, but it affects something else in the code that I wasn't aware of because I didn't take the time to think about it. Or I didn't document how to test the things I did quick or enough when I could have. Because all well, I want to do is finish the project I'm on and move on to the next thing. And part all of I the... want to do is identify all of those types of things within individuals, not just myself, but across the board, to find out how can we all get better as people. Yeah, John's really big on the mentoring piece, and I, I, I applaud him for that. I guess I'm more of a dick about it. Um, so, yeah. Well, I... I, I think Agile attempts to address this very specifically and says stand-ups because we don't want people... Like, stand-ups are literally stand-ups. We don't want people sitting down getting comfortable. We want it to be fast and dirty. And then if the stand-up has a, a an issue to be resolved individually, then you take it to an aside but and sta- establish... Stand-ups are, stand-ups are project-focused. They're not people-focused. From my understanding of it, it's no, make it well, yours. Absolutely right. Make it yours. Make make your stand-ups people focused. But you don't want to call people out in the middle of other people. I don't want to say, That's... Thomas, you have this issue in front of everybody else in the company. No, That's no, not you what just a stand-up say, is about. You put it to them to ask how things are going, and they say, "Let's cover it over." Uh, a, but a that's step. not how it works. If well, if make I your own. if if I have if I have objective. Uh, things that I want you to meet. I need to have that as a one-on-one. I don't want to say in front of somebody else in, in on the team, hey, you need to, whatever the case may be, you need to have this objective to open X number of PRs or have X number of PRs not screw up over the, the launch period. But if you have a if you have a chat room open that's got one channel per user. You know, I, we, we've got the Diego Dev thing and I've got all the em- other employees listed on it. And if you just message them once a week and say, I think you're doing great. How do you think things are going? And they say, I think things are going well. Then See, that, that's the that's key, though. The, that's the I, extent I, I, of it. I think, it's, I think it's a very easy conversation when everything is going well and everybody's happy. It's like like John says... It's when things aren't going well or when things need to be addressed or questions need to be asked that you need to, it, it takes that extra beat of, okay, let's go off, let's have a discussion. But if you did that every time something's going wrong, like if this week, you know, I, I took one of, one of the people working with us and said, hey, I want to talk to you separately, let's have a conversation, it feels not, you not, guys, you guys' situation thing, is so thing, unique, seems, though. It seems reactive, right? It seems reactive. With with the one-on-ones, it seems like you're being proactive. You know, you're, you're doing a touch base every week. Everybody feels comfortable. If anybody has a problem, they know, hey, I have my touch base on Friday. I'll bring it up then. And it, it's more, I, I, see it as, I see that as more of a proactive as reactive. And again, I'm not a fan of the one-on-ones, but... I do see some validity in it. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It gets to a situation where you have to decide to hire an HR manager or 
something along those lines to mitigate the amount of time that's being spent on it. I mean, it's, I, I think what it sounds like is you guys are experiencing company growth. I wish that was the problem. Well, <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually experiencing the other thing. <laughs> waste waste losing, growth. No, no, we're, we're, we're finishing contracts quicker than we're getting contracts. We're not we're not necessarily losing them, but we're finishing them. So all right, all right. Doom and gloom's not right. your thing. Take it back to me Let, here. Let's move on. Um, I have a question got, for you guys. I, I got one more thing. No, I let's, I already I had my note up first. Okay. You guys, there was a an RFC approved for the next version of PHP PHP eight point zero. It's the first RFC approved for eight point zero. It's titled Arrays Starting with a Negative Index. And there was a proposed deprecation notice that was rejected. The deprecation notice read, In the next major version of PHP, the implicit keys of this array will start from negative one instead of zero. What? How do you feel about that? Why? That sounds ridiculous. What's the what's I mean we enough people make fun of us for starting at zero anyways and that's common throughout the programming world. We no longer do. I I'm telling Why? you now this this RFC was approved for PHP 8. Why? Now it's what, what's, it's what's much simpler. It's much simpler than it sounds. There are several situations where you can create a new array and define the first key of that array as being negative a number, negative three, negative four, negative eight, whatever you have. The next time you reference that array implicitly, so if you just give it open bracket, close bracket, it will skip from the negative number you've assigned straight to zero. So if I have an array and I say negative two equals Thomas, and then I say the next key equals John, then I will have an array that says Negative two equals Thomas, zero equals John. That's the way it is now? That's the way it currently is. This RFC changes it so that if you start a new array with a negative number, then it will set the incrementing for that array from that number instead of from zero. Okay, so it doesn't it doesn't by default start with negative one. It's correct. It's implicitly started so, at so, negative so one. So the way you started this argument is off base because I made it. You made it sound like it was going to always start by negative one. I the believe def- that that's why the deprecation notice failed the RFC. However, the actual functionality passed because the the deprecation notice was very bad. So, and it failed miserably. So how how often are you referencing your arrays by key when when you're using indexes like that? I think I most no, people are using for each no anyway, idea. right? I have no idea. Yeah, you're using for each. You're going through your arrays. It's if I, it's, if I don't have the IDs out of a database, I really don't care what the IDs in the array are. In most it is cases, honestly, it is honestly a nightmare scenario. And it is the first RFC accepted to PHP 8. <laughs> PHP 8. That's, that's hey, crazy. fun fact. While we're talking about it, you, you want to know a fun fact? I love fun facts. I haven't seen any on the uh, Wave PHP Twitter recently. I feel that my, Ras- my lighthearted Rasmus- ribbing has hit to the core. Rasmus Lairdorf, the godfather. Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior Rasmus Lairdorf. Yes. 
He he will not be attending Wave PHP. Ask me oh. how I know. How do you know that? Ask me how I know. How do you know that? I talked I talk to him. Ooh. I just I, I just messaged the guy and I'm like, hey, uh, duh, we're doing this. Hey, uh, why don't you come to San Diego? And he he was polite enough to message back. He said, hey, thanks. Uh, sorry, those dates don't work for me. I, I'm I'm already accounted for. So, I'm washing so my we're, hair. We're, we're best friends now. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I have a question for you. What would that question be? What does one dot one dot one dot one mean? Not echo. One dot one. What? No. What? Not echo. Eric. What? What? My Alexa started going crazy. Okay. What is one dot one dot one dot one day? What does one dot one dot one dot one mean? That didn't work too well. No, it didn't. I don't know, Thomas. Can you help me resolve it? I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So I I saw this come across my news feed on April April 1st, thinking it was an April Fool's joke. I totally thought it was April Fool's (laughs) joke. Who releases... News hey, releases hey, hey. on April don't 1st. Ta- don't you say a word, Thomas. If Unless you have a very short memory, we started San Diego Laravel User Group on April 1st. So Yeah, no one showed whatever. up. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, John. This is your, your, your card. So uh, I've been a big fan of the Google DNS resolvers because, one, they're easy to remember. 8.8.8.8 is super easy. Yep. And out of nowhere, Amazon and Cloudflare release 1.1.1.1 as... Who who even thought that would be a real IP address? That's the question. A lot of people had was, I thought this was reserved. Right. According to everything I've known from N+, the ones are crazy reserved. And it's more of AP, or a company owned that block of addresses. And because people like us use false addresses all the time you throw 1.1.1.1 into your uh your config file for whatever reason to make it easy because nobody uses it so they get flooded with traffic and they don't know where it's coming from so it turns out amazon... Are you saying cloudflare stole the ip address hmm? i mean cloudflare plus amazon is big enough to steal an ip address well, they could not. have just stolen it you yeah they are you can't just take ip addresses oh, yeah, you if can. it's all they can't take IP addresses I own. Can you let the guy tell yeah, they can. No, they can't. Go on, go on. You're gonna tell me they can? I, I, I own two class C's. They can take my class C's. Yeah, they could. But go on. Why do you keep pulling this crap out of your ass? No, they can't. I'm not. I'm a Network Plus engineer. I took my I took my CCN E or no CCNA tests. Stealing IP addresses I, is surprisingly easy if you have access to the core. I if, love that comeback. If you have access to the pipeline. I've been certified, buddy. Do I need to show you a card? What are you talking about? Seriously. We'll, we'll discuss this off air. Driver's license taken. To, you know, he drank too much. Let's just operate under the assumption that I'm right, and you go on. You can't just take addresses. From I've had people. too much to drink. Have Holy you, crap! You've seen routing. It's not that easy. John, please, please tell me your story. <laughs> what is one dot one dot one dot one? Please add my no. pain. 
<laughs> just done. Oh my god. So Cloud Amazon and Cloudflare decided they're gonna create the crazy fastest DNS resolver ever. It's faster than Google's eight dot eight dot eight dot eight. What is it, twenty three milliseconds versus some like forty or fifty millisecond response times, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Use it and I'm done. So it's a DNS but, resolver. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question about the about the performance, because that's why a lot of people started jumping on board with with it because of this performance. But isn't that like a skewed number? It's like, isn't the performance good because nobody's using it, and when everybody starts using it, it's going to get bogged down? That's a good question. No, You're the opposite. Way. DNS performs faster when more people are using it because of caching. Correct. I, I, I understand yeah. that. It, 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 it's resolved more IPs. I, I get that, you know, but the the question is, physically, people aren't hitting hitting the servers that much. So. But it's Cloudflare, so if they're able to offload ridiculous DDoS traffic, I'm sure they have ways to resolve DNS traffic. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, you're probably hitting a Cloudflare network right after you resolve a DNS address. Yeah, it's, yeah. Any any so, call you're, you're it's just, going through Cloudflare. Yeah, it's just it's just one more hit against Cloudflare and this one. Now, me, for me, their big thing is privacy. It's not it's not the speed. The speed is cool. That's great. But their privacy policy and I've read the whole thing is in no uncertain terms, we don't keep anything after 24 hours. And if we kept it for 24 hours, it's purely for the functionality of the system. It is absolutely not to identify anybody for any purpose other than uh, attackers or bad actors. So their their privacy policy is pretty airtight. Hmm. Yeah, he. I mean, he was the one that the, the 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 owner or the CEO or the head guy of Cloudflare was the one that kind of stepped up and said, "Hey." I have way too much power. I can bring right. down way too many people, and we need to make sure that that's not... Yeah, I thought that was yeah. cool. And no good deed goes unpunished. He's now being investigated for taking down websites that he doesn't have jurisdiction How to How are we down. an hour and a half into this? Oh, Christ. I think we've right. run the gamut of what we right. can talk about in a single We're gonna night. We're going to have to cover crypto really quick, but then. But, John, we didn't talk about <laughs> any crypto stuff. Well, unfortunately, that's going to have to wait till next episode. This is a cliffhanger. Huh. This is a, a this is a cliffhanger. We we have so many cards out there. Dark patterns, crypto, crypto. It's did you crazy, guys watch man. the dark patterns? You're going. To, you're going. To, I did. That was a, that was a good one, by the way. John, did you you're watch going dark patterns? Turn in. You so have to tune in next week. Dark don't, patterns is hold, turn, dark. Next it's week. going to be on. It's next the week. link to the video is going to be on the subreddit. I really encourage all of our listeners to see the dark patterns video before they listen to the podcast, uh, because we will definitely cover dark patterns in the next episode. Dark patterns is a good one. It's yeah, it's scary. Yeah, really, I don't think it was really scary. All right, all right, all right. guys, guys, I'll, I'll make it scary. <laughs> what? I can talk for hours. I know. We're an John, hour and a half if you in. Think about it. If you think about Thank it, you for listening. I'm week. John Congo. So on, on, on average, if we talk for two hours. This should be, yeah, this should be a three hour episode. It just balances, balances it out. Balance out. Thanks for listening. I'm John Congo. Listeners, I'm, I'm on Tom your Ryan. side here. I'm trying to end this. Eric Van Johnson. Keep, keep it, it ugly. ugly. Keep, keep it ugly. Dark patterns. That was the worst ending ever.
Yeah, it was. <laughs> worst host ever. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at PHP Ugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.